0: On Racing HQ, Monday's Experts, studying the form of racing's characters.
1: Monday's Experts, have hey, always got the good you can't put a bet on at the finish of a race.
0: Yeah, Monday's Experts on this 31st of May, and we're uh, really looking forward to the next little bit on Sky Sports Radio. We hear him regularly uh, talk to the Racing HQ team about his rides coming up for the day. We see him doing a lot of a press and not only that, uh, Press, he does a lot of social media stuff as well with a number of trainers and we saw him there on Sunday with Annabelle Nisham at a bit of an open day at her stable and getting amongst the kids and I think that's because he just is a big kid. Tommy Berry joins us. G'day, TV. You're the big kid, Stano, not me. How are you? <laughs> Very good, mate. Good to chat with you on this Monday. I know you've already been busy this morning. Tell the listeners what you did this morning. Yeah, I just uh, got up,
1: came out to the trials. I actually got up with the kids this morning too, believe it or not. Gave Sharnie a bit of a sleep in and... Now I've just been at the trials, and uh, after I do this, I'll go for a hit of golf with Christian just to, to switch off before um, a very busy week.
0: So what time are you up this morning, mate?
1: Uh, it's six o'clock. Native boy's been waking up lately, which is a bit bit annoying, but uh, it's better than getting up for track work at 3.30, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, so so trials this morning, and have you already sort of got those trials locked in? Do you know what you're going to be getting on when you get here?
1: Uh, yeah, the trials are done sort of three days out when the noms came out, and um race rides are a little bit different they're done almost 10 to 10 to 12 days out now so um there we we sort of know what we're riding a long way out
0: do are the kids fully cotton on to what you're doing
1: yeah they have the last 12 months which is it's quite nice for me personally um because obviously it's, it's quite hard and it's it's sad at times that you you know when your kids are asking you where are you all the time or what are you doing or where are you going and, and you tell them you're at work and they just they don't quite understand that but now um Obviously, they go to the races and watch me ride, and they they know what I do now. So they know when I'm going to work. Uh, they know what I'm what I'm getting up to, and um, they enjoy coming and watching me riding when they're not at school, and and they can on some some weekends. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's really nice to have them be a part of that now.
0: I tell you what, there's plenty of racing on both sides, the dam and the sire. So I'm tipping they're um, they're born into it, mate, and they'll be stuck. <laughs>
1: yeah, definitely. Um no, they we we definitely make it a part of their life. Um, you know, it's, it's something we thoroughly enjoy. We love animals, and so do our kids. And hopefully, if it's up to them if they want to be a part of the industry in some some way or another. Then it'll be really good that the industry's uh, the industry's done a lot for for my family, and it's provided them a, a great life so far. So if they can give back to it in any any way in the future, it'd be be pretty special.
0: What about growing you growing up as a kid, mate? What what point did you sort of? understand what was going on because you obviously grew up around horses and and your old man coming through that apprenticeship but was there a certain point you remember that first off period
1: yeah look i I was a bit the same when i was growing up um i always wondered why dad was never there christmas morning and on our birthdays and stuff like that he was dad was a a seven day a week worker and he'd have two weeks off at christmas and that was the the two weeks we sort of went away with him to where his mum and mum and dad were and apart from that he was he never had a had a break at all so um it took, you know, it wasn't until about probably six or seven we we sort of understood what, why he worked so hard and and you know he had to, you know it wasn't easy obviously he wasn't getting paid as much as you do now and um, you know we 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 got through always our parents always made sure we had food on the table and, and and the best clothes and and stuff we could and and that we could participate in sports and stuff like that so they had to work very hard for that but um, once I realised what it was all about and we obviously fell in love with horses at a very young age and. I wouldn't say that to I, I wanted to be a jockey from the time I, I, I walked in a horse's box, but um, once I had one ride on a horse, I uh, got that adrenaline rush. It was, a, it was a hard one to bypass, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, and, and obviously early days, I mean, you, you've certainly done the hard yards. I mean, what was one of your first jobs for more of these, the young blokes listening out there that haven't heard your story before? I mean, what did your yeah, old man well, get you doing? You and Nath, et cetera.
1: Yeah, well, we, from I think the age of eight, we used to get up and we wanted to do it as well because we loved it, but we used to go down to the stables just for an hour before we went to school and mark out some boxes, and then in the afternoon uh, one of our first jobs was working for um, Gary Nixon, um, a trainer that still trained at Warwick Farm. We used to mark out his boxes and do the waters, And um, but there was only one of us, so on the odd day, if we weren't working, we used to uh, do a bit of charity work at the local IGA um, to, to earn money, for, and we used to put it in the charity box every week, so um, we enjoyed we enjoyed being busy. we were very hyperactive kids, and uh, our parents sort of kept us, I guess, busy to stay out of trouble, and it, it, uh, it definitely worked.
0: Do you remember the, for, the first horse you rode that day uh, that, that gave you the, the rush? Um,
1: yeah, it was it was Cisco the kid. Uh, we, we, we named him. It was on our, I think, well, maybe um, eight years old, and we woke up Christmas morning, and he had his head through the, the, the kitchen window grabbing some bread off the off the counter and um <laughs> he was our he was our Christmas present and from then on we, we, we rode him the three of us me Nathan and my sister Blinda and um yeah we he, he wasn't the easiest pony to ride. He gave us a lot of we had a lot of falls on him but he um he taught us a lot and, and as I said when just going fast on a horse on, on horseback is just nothing like it. There's it's not like you're in a car and you're surrounded by anything. It's you sitting on top and you know, it's just a great adrenaline
0: rush. It's incredible. What about when you first started? Was there any hairy incidents? Did you that, that you sort of thought, oh, geez, I'm staying away from these horses?
1: Yeah, we well, Paul Cave taught us how to ride, and he's one of the maddest Irishmen I've ever met, and um, everyone knows who Paul is, and he used to um, ride alongside us and push us off while we we're going quite fast, He used to he used to try and teach us how to how to land properly, and um, we we learned how to ride bareback. We weren't allowed to ride in the saddle, so that was quite tough, and. He used to put us on a lunging lead and we'd be cantering around him and he'd send his dog in in the middle of it and our, our pony used to chase after him on the end of the lead with his head on the ground and Paul used to yell at us if we tried to put our hands down on, on the main. He used to make us roll with our hands. and um, So we had a lot of falls just trying to stay on the, on the pony with the, the mad stuff Paul used to teach us to, to do. But uh, there was probably a time there I, I, I came off and winded myself quite badly and I don't think I rode for about three months. Um, I just... I was, I was scared at that point, and um, I, I said to Dad I never wanted to ride another horse again, but I obviously got the courage to, to get up and do it. I was probably jealous of Nathan riding so often and, um, and got back in the saddle, so uh, lucky I did now, I guess.
0: And what about Mum and Dad? Like, obviously, uh, your old man obviously was, you know, a big driver, but was Mum a bit hesitant, sort of saying, oh, you know, just be careful? Because you, you hear it, you know, you you, you say, like, uh, chat to Laurie and, and, and others, and, and like, these are, you know, superstars of the sport, and... Or just been in a sport, and then their kids come along, and they sometimes, you know, get a bit nervous when the kids are doing it. I mean, was 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 it uh, your dad, or were they both saying, go, get up and, and go?
1: No, I think there was, I, I do remember a fair few fights, <laughs> especially through our apprenticeship <laughs> um, of dad putting us on horses, that, and we get buried, and, and mum blowing up because he put us on it, and dad saying, "Don't worry, they, they're right, they're tough, they'll get back on." And um, so I remember that quite fondly. But um, but then when if, if something happened and we did get hurt, dad. Dad was like the softer one, so um, they, they they definitely had their turns. But uh, Dad was um, he was very adamant to you know keep us going forward. And uh, over the years we, we'd broken, I broke my foot and rode the whole way through it because Dad wouldn't let me go and get it an extra. He he didn't want me to stop riding work. So um, we joke about it now. He always he always asks me why my foot looks like it's uh, put on backwards. But um, he's, uh, yeah, he, he was a tough tough master, but a very loving one at the same time.
0: Yeah, mate. What about your first race win? So that was for the old man, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, Hunter Ruby. I probably should have won on a, the two starts previous as well. I got lost on her on two occasions, and I remember my father saying to, to um, the owner Mick Doyle, who owned a lot of dad's horses at that stage, that um, he, he, he was going to put a senior rider on because I'd, I'd gotten it wrong on two occasions. And Mick said, "No," he said, "That's." He said, "I want Tommy on it." He said, "That's what he's here to do. Learn." So, um, you know, so we rode a lot for Mick Doyle because um, he had the horses we had, and we couldn't thank him enough because we. As most apprentices do, we got it wrong more times than we got it right. But he, he stuck with us and um, gave us plenty of opportunities along the way. And I think I rode my first three winners for dad, so that was quite special.
0: What was the thrill like that day at Hawksbury? I mean, you've obviously been to the heights of the sport now, but at the time, mate, you must have just thought, "I'm flying here. How good's this?"
1: Yeah, yeah no, nah, it is. There are times you, you look back on and cherish for, for the rest of your life. Um, you know, no one ever forgets your first race race winning. Especially for their father, and um, Nathan got beaten uh, an absolute pimple on the same day, two races later, on another horse of Dad's called Apple Prince. Um, so a bit gutted on that that day, but I think a week later he won on um, another horse of Dad's at the Skane Cup Carnival. So um, yeah, we we uh, we rode a lot of winners for Dad early days. It was just quite nice.
0: Then you went up to I think Magic Millions. That was sort of that was sort of the real big one for you, wasn't it at the time?
1: Yeah, it was. Um, it, uh, we, we went to WA for three months over EI and I think that's, that was the biggest probably pick up for, for Nathan and I. We we'll, were just struggling in, because Dad wouldn't let us go down to the, the, the country and ride when we first started. He wanted us to stay in the provincials where he could keep an eye on us and he didn't want us living away from home. So um, he kept us around the provincial area which obviously meant less rides and, and took us a lot longer to get going. But when EI hit and AI hit on I think a Thursday afternoon and Dad had us on a flight on Friday morning to go to, to WA and ride because he didn't want us to sit around at home and um, we, we got a lot of winners over there, got a, a lot of confidence out of it and, and learnt a lot. and When we came back, we really sort of picked up and, and the ball got rolling. And, um, yeah, then I got on a, that Philly um, crew to Queen and went up to the Magic Millions with her and um, pretty much threw the ride on, on her and the Magic Millions is how I got the job at Gay Waterhouse as a stable rider. So it was uh, amazing how things sort of work out.
0: But you always do talk about Nathan, um, understandably, and... You mentioned in previous conversations, I've heard you sort of say that you think he was a better rider than you.
1: Yeah, he was. He was uh, definitely at the early stage. I felt like towards the end, I was definitely catching up or or on even terms um, towards the end of his life. But um, Nathan had a a real sense of calmness about him Uh, in a race. He he rode horses very uh, patiently, and and that's why he rode. The main stable he rode for was um, Guy Walter. And he, he really based himself off Hugh Bowman. Hugh Bowman was his, his hero uh, when it came to jockeys. And, um, you know, he was uh, he, he was just a patient guy. He let races unfold, which probably cost him a little bit as an apprentice getting opportunities because apprentices are well-known for just put them on a front runner or get them on the speed and, and use your claim. But and Nathan wasn't really that sort of rider. But, um, you know, he, he, was, he was more of a natural than me. I took a lot longer to, to really, you know, learn how to read a race and just them little things. I could sit on a horse, okay, but um, I didn't have a really good racing brain where, where Nathan just picked up on those things a lot quicker than I did. And, and that showed, I think, he, he started riding in town probably 12 months uh, before I did.
0: Mate, at the time, and, and at the time of Nathan's passing, and it was an awful time in in, in your life and a lot of people's lives, but did you think about uh, leaving the sport? Was there ever that thought of thought or, did, or was it more of a, uh it give you more and more determination to to get out there and because I've, I've had conversations with you before even away from the microphones and stuff and and i get the sense that he's with you every day mate and he's riding with you every day as well
1: yeah exactly honestly i don't know what i was feeling at that time um it's all a bit of a blur to me at the moment that 12 months after nathan passed so i was in in a great way but i I sort of was just turning up to the races and, and and doing my job. But the only time I ever felt close to him was when I was riding. So um, the last thing I wanted to do or the last thing I was going to do was was take time away from the sport or or, or, or go away and, and have a holiday or anything like that. I just felt that the we most of our our greatest memories and a lot of our um, time growing up together was you know during our apprenticeship and, and riding ponies growing up and stuff like that. So when I was in the saddle, even though to be honest with you, most days I went to the races. I was on another planet. I, I couldn't think straight, but um, I, I just felt like I I was with Nathan and and I was riding really well at the time, which I was looking back on now. I was quite surprised. I'm quite surprised about.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I remember that around that time as well. That was uh, when you rode the offer, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, around that time. Yeah, and you know, even you look at the offer. That was probably the toughest time. I was touring back from Singapore and and Nathan had passed, and then I rode him in the City Cup and. I'll probably, you know, his three wins in a row. They were probably three of my best rides I've ever put in, and and like I said, I was I was probably in the worst mental state I've ever been in. So um, it's amazing that sometimes things um, are meant to be, and, and it was on that occasion.
0: It just shows too how important um, you know certain people are in your life at that time, mate. And I know that you, you know, you and Shani were always destined to to go on and be together, but uh just that that real rock mate that real you know center point for you
1: yeah yeah, no she's been incredible she's helped me through a lot of tough times um through through obviously mental health depression um i I was never a big drinker growing up i think i had my first alcohol when i was 20 but um obviously alcohol is very you know it's 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 bad when you you are suffering depression because you, you use it to hide your problems and and i got quite bad at one stage i was Probably drinking most nights um, for, for a good period there, and just to try and I know get some sleep or get through the next day or try and take my mind off things or you know just you know just get through every day. So it was a I was sort of Shani was probably the the one well she was the one that got me through that she saw that I had a a, a problem and she obviously knew I had a problem but she was trying to do the right thing and, and let me work it out myself but that sort of wasn't happening it was just spiraling um, it was just getting worse and worse so she. She made me go and see see someone and get some help, and it's it's the best thing she's ever done for me. Um, it it's really helped me you know, understand what I'm going through and and help me find different ways to to get through, um, you know, the tragedy that I've I've sort of suffered over the past.
0: She keeps on your toes. That's one thing I've seen her and I've seen her in action, mate. She keeps on your toes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> she always says she's got five kids, um, and I'm the biggest <laughs> one. But uh, no, she's. She's a good girl, Sharon. She's she's a great mother. She's as you, as you all, everyone knows. She's got four we've got four kids under under four and a half, and she's brought them up so well. Um, and she's allowed me, more importantly, to to pursue a career that I'm very passionate about and, and obviously want to be the best at in in, in my area and, and in the world. So it's, it's and that's not easy to do. It takes a lot of hard work and a, a lot of time and um, and a lot of effort. And, and that obviously that time and effort takes away from the, the time you spend with her and the kids, but. She, she's very good with understanding all of that she knows what it's all about and she knows that I, I like to stay busy and um, she's just been she's been incredible um, the whole way through.
0: You, you've obviously got a, a wonderful um, platform at the moment I mean you, you're a big name in town you're riding plenty of winners you're making plenty of money but um, you're asked recently in an article I think it was Matt Jones uh, on the Everest and you know what would you rather win and you know a jo- uh, premiership or the Everest and you were very keen obviously to to to, to win this premiership and and when I've had you on Racing HQ before it for you it's about the name up on the board and saying to yourself in an inner voice I'm up there with all those blokes that I used to watch growing up and it's it's the pride factor isn't
1: it Yeah it is I I'm you know money in this sport comes along with success anyway so you know you you don't have to like, I don't feel especially myself I don't have to, I don't feel like I've got to be, win the, the most expensive races or you know, it's just always nice to win them, but um, you know, to, to win something like a premiership, I feel a premiership. Twelve months of hard work. It's twelve months of consistency. Um, you've got to ride consistent the whole way through the year. You've got to um, get it right more times than you get it wrong. Uh, you've got to work very hard. Take no holidays. It's just a. It's, it's twelve months of um, you know, hundred percent focus on on one thing, and and that's riding winners. And so for me, obviously, I've had a great season with Group One winners as well, um, but. I've really concentrated on just staying consistent at the midweek meetings and the normal Saturday meetings and then those provincial meetings, trying to get those winners that I think that can go to town and then win at their following start, so that's another city winner. Um, So it all sort of, it all comes into one and and I feel like over the last sort of couple of years, I've built a great association with so many trainers and I feel like I'm riding for more trainers than I ever have. I've I've got a great um, team behind me and... Um, and that 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 shows obviously every week I'm riding winners for different trainers. It's not just the same people, but I've got a really good support base around me, and and that definitely helps.
0: One thing I do love about you, Tommy, is that you ride for you know some of the biggest owners and biggest stables in the world. But you know you do your own form, and you you will pick you know the the trainer that that might only have you know 20 in work that you know is from the south coast and to see you over the championships, you know, win on your Art Cadeaux and, and win for your prices, who I know you're very close to as well. But when you get up and give them a roar, just like, a, you know, you would on a Chautauqua, um, you're very loyal to to those people that have supported you and you're, you're sort of not, you're not persuaded by the big flashing lights on the outside yeah. of the building, are you?
1: Not, no, not not really. And, and I, think, um, I think that them big trainers uh, appreciate that as well. You know, it's... You know, the, the, Jamea was one over the carnival where I had a few offers in the race and they were for some of the biggest stables, but I, I'd i gone down and trialled her at Kembler and I, I thought she was the right horse for the race and she won well for the prices. And, um, you know, I enjoy riding for the country guys when they bring them to town and um, obviously want to be on the best horses in every race, so I don't always get on their horses, but if if they've got one that I think can win or is a, a good chance, and uh, if I've even got to go down and, and ride it somewhere down south, um before they they bring it to town, I'm happy to do that as well. But and I, like I said, I, I think you know the I definitely don't think the city trainers get uh, annoyed about that. I think they they appreciate you know they appreciate what I'm what I'm doing and and I stick to the people that have really helped me um, get to where I am. And and there's so many people I've ridden for when I'm growing up that I am still riding for now. Even people like um, Clary Connors and Gary Portelli, I rode a winner for him the other day, and uh, Greg Hickman and all of those Warwick farm trainers that started off using me all the time. So, um, you know, it always means a lot getting winners for them.
0: Back to the horses. So uh, the Hong Kong trip and when you went over there to ride for John, how did that all come about at the time?
1: Well, I'd obviously had a lot of luck over there for John. I, on my first ever stint in Hong Kong, on my first day, I, I won the QE2 on military attack. And, and in that time, I, I I pretty much got on most of John's horses for the last three months of the season in Hong Kong and, I think I rode um, 23 or 24 winners um, in that first stint over there and just had a great run. And I did a few hit-and-run missions in between then, went back, um, won the Derby on Designs and Rome, then won the QE2 on him at my second stint over in in Hong Kong. and So even after the first stint I did, John asked me to come over and be stable rider for him, and I just didn't feel like I was at the right point in my career. I felt like I wasn't mature enough to be moving overseas and... um, I didn't feel like I was at that point where I could sort of get up and and move to another country and he asked me again the following year um, when he had Designs and Rome and Able Friend and all those good horses and I declined the offer once again and and then he asked me the third year and he said I'm not going to offer you too many times because he said I'm I'm getting to the end of my time in Hong Kong so I'd really like you to come over and I went over there and and did 12 months and you know it didn't work out Uh, we had a very rocky start to the season and uh, didn't get many results and and that, um, you know, that sort of ended in, in me becoming a club jockey for the last three months of the season. And it definitely was a, a great time in my career. I was, it was probably one of the lowest points in my career. Just probably the first time where I've, I've um, you know, here a real, real slow patch, not riding winners, struggling mm-hmm. to find winners, and struggling to get rides. So um, it was tough at the time, but definitely uh, looking back on it, it, uh,
0: it toughened me up for, for what was to come it's a funny place Hong Kong it's, it's almost like you know you're the kid the, the the young apprentice coming to the big smoke again starting all over even though you've got this established career in here in Sydney and you know you you're getting results you go over there it can really um it can eat you up and spit you out very quickly that joint
1: yeah it can and I remember my my second stint over there for three months I was obviously after doing the the earlier uh, going the earlier year i I'd, I'd had a lot of connections and that and hugh bowman had come over to do his first in hong kong um and it was my second and i was riding plenty of winners and huey struggled to ride a winner for his first six or seven weeks and i remember going home to shane saying like he's one of the, you know huey's the best jock in the world and he's, he's struggling to get a bit of momentum here in hong kong and i think that just shows that it doesn't matter who you are you look at someone like blake shin uh, he wrote his first double in hong kong after being there for a year and a half and um He's one of the best jockeys we've seen here in Australia. So it, uh, it just shows you that when you do get, go over there, you do need support and you need the right people behind you to, to give you the opportunities and, and you need a bit of luck there when you first start off. So it's, it's definitely a great leveller.
0: I can't not get you on and not talk about Chautauqua. I mean, that famous day where he was, he was out the back and millions uh, to one uh, when he ran down English, is that the best feeling you've ever had on a racehorse?
1: Yeah, it was. He said TJ Smith, he's just, it's, it's hard to describe, but it, it, it was like it was in slow motion, even though he obviously ran incredible times the last, last half a mile. He's got such a big stride. Everything that he ever did always felt like I was in slow motion, and everything around me was in slow motion as well. And, um, you know, in that race, I remember getting the 300 tour I had at one, and, and then I said that to Michael Hawkes when I got off him, and he, he told me I was an idiot. He said, You're mad. And, I went back and watched the replay, and then I thought I was mad as well because the feeling I had on him out there to, to watching the race over, it was just two completely different things. Because when he was, he used to go through his gears, and it was like a V8 just, you know, getting through one, two, three, fourth gear, fifth gear, and um, and you could just feel him. And I, I always knew when he was at his top, and, and at the 300 he was only just starting to get going. So um, yeah, it was definitely the best feel I've ever had on a racehorse.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it's something that'll be forever, mate. I mean, they're making memes out of it now. Um, yeah, you know, so he's gonna attention be. The most, doesn't he <laughs> He certainly does. And I mean, when you show that to non racing people as well, like if I've, you know, people over and we're talking about Chautauqua and racing and they see that, uh, it, it just, it's, it's mind boggling for them, mate. You, you obviously live out of Dural. Uh, you've got a beautiful property, which I was lucky enough to go to, um, for your birthday party, and something resonated with me when we spoke that night I said mate this is a great joint and the kids must love it and you said look well Sharni and I we both grew up in housing commission and we want to give every opportunity for our kids um I mean they're your heart and soul aren't they? they're your life yeah
1: they are and you know we, we we do what we can and um as I said even though um you know Shani and I didn't have it you know we were very limited in what we had when we got older we'll, we'll give them plenty of love from our families and and given pretty much everything that we they could and um you know, we're lucky enough where we've we've got um the lifestyle we've got where we can provide them with a, a great life out at chural they've they've got acreage, they've got animals and um you know it's it's a place where they can spend a lot of time with me as well when I'm not at the races and time where I can sort of get away from um the sport and and um and we don't have to you know get them up and take them to a park or, and stuff like that it's a bit time consuming where I can just go out and go feed the the animals with them or take them for a ride on the pony and um yeah it's it's a really nice place out there and they've They've got that for for as long as they they live with us growing up, so um, they are very lucky. And you know, I hope they do appreciate it when they get older. But we're very blessed that, as I said, this industry has been able to provide us with a, a great living for them and and, and giving me a great great job and a great lifestyle.
0: What about staying um, stay inside, mate? That uh, that golden slipper. What did you what did you make? I mean, is he is he really uh, excited to to jump back on in the uh, in the spring?
1: I am now. I, you know, riding him, especially with two-year-olds, because, you know, especially the winner, uh, over recent years, the, the stats haven't been really good as, you know, then coming back as three-year-olds. But um, when I saw pictures of him the other day, and yeah. he he looked like he'd put on 50 kilos, and he has put on 50 kilos. He's come back looking like a monster. So, you know, I thought he was a really good two-year-old, and he took all before him there. But, you know, he's he definitely looked like he's filled out into himself, and he's... He, as Michael Friedman said, he went out a boy and he's come back a man. So um, he's an exciting horse going forward. I'm really excited to see Remark come in as well. I don't think we saw the best out of him. Um, he had a couple of little setbacks leading towards the slippers. So there's a you know there's a few nice two-year-olds, which I think are you know, the best is ahead of him.
0: Bant is always prevalent amongst you blokes as well in the jockeys room. Did you give it to James after that slipper and say, mate? Sorry, mate. Took that one off you. Thanks for that.
1: Yeah, I remember the Tuesday <laughs> before the slipper. I went, I went down to Gallop, um, staying tight, and I I went to handle hand James in and and helmet. I said you might as well uh, get on and give him his final piece of work. You've done everything else on him, <laughs> and uh, I wasn't as I wanna I wasn't as lethal after the race because I could see he was hurting a little bit. But um, you know, that's that's the name of the game, and you know, James yeah. is probably. It's probably cost him a few grit ones over the time, but he—I'm sure he's got more back than he's missed out on. So um, you know, he's, exactly. he's got to share him around a little bit. That's for sure.
0: Exactly. No, he's he's travelling all right. Don't worry about j Mack. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. So you're 96. You're 96 at the moment in the Metro. Um, I tell you what, you get close to him, and then like he comes back last week at Canterbury, and he he just gets that little bit, you know, of a push there midweek. It, do you think he can? Do you think he can beat him? In the jockey's premiership.
1: Oh, oh, look, I, 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 I'm not going to say I can't because then that wouldn't be the right attitude um, heading into the next nine weeks. But it's it's proving very difficult. And um, I said to I've said to Shani a few times during the year that I love that he's. You know, every time I you know get close to him, or there's a couple of times I've gotten in front of him, but then he's he's put about five or six on me. And I said, I, I feel like it's brought the best out of me all year. He's he's taking me to a new level, but now he's just getting annoying. He's getting a pain in the ass. To be honest with you, and he um, he keeps. <laughs> Coming back and, and making my life hard, but that's that's James. He he's won a few premierships, but that's not going to deter him from trying to beat me this year. He gets a lot of enjoyment out of that. But if I can take one thing out of it, I, I've, you know, to ride 100 winners for the season's great. And James usually goes away for three or four weeks at the end of the season for a holiday, and I'm going to interrupt that as much as I can. So um, I'm looking forward to it.
0: <laughs> and, and you know what? Mate, any other year, I mean, you're on 96 at the moment. For Metro wins, he's on one hundred and eight. But then you clear right out. Rachel King is then in third on fifty six. I mean, if I'd have said to you at the start of the season, especially at the start of the season, where we were in COVID times uh, back then, uh, if I'd have said you'd be riding ninety six winners and you'd be, you know, you'd be annoying the bloke who, at this time of the year, probably be looking at his calendar with Caitlin Gum. Where are we? Where are we going to go? <laughs> um, you know, you, you, that you should be very proud of that.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. So I was only speaking to Ray Thomas the other day, and. He said that the the last time two jockeys rode hundred winners in a season in the city was twenty years ago and it was Darren Beaven and and Corey brown so to be put in the breath of those two uh champions and, and great great guys um is quite quite good and I did think at the end of the start of the season if I was able to ride hundred winners that would be enough to, to to win it but um it just shows you how strong our ranks here are in sydney and and how strong the competition is but you know take away if I, if I don't win it and there's a good chance that I won't that I'll, I'll take away that I've had a great season and it's really gonna put me in good stead for next year and, and make me even hungrier to, to, to get it. And I won't stop till I win one. It might just take mm. a little while longer
0: than I thought. You never know what's around the corner. Mate, before I let you go, and I've spoken with a number of trainers about this in the last couple of weeks, and it's something that's been popping up, especially as a byproduct of COVID and obviously the, the lack of, uh, you know, international people that can come in that can help around the stables. But, you know, you've grown up around uh, horses all your life. Are you concerned for the future, you know, with, with things like staff and with even younger uh, participants that want to be jockeys coming through, do you think we need to be getting out there more into schools and regional areas and sort of saying, look, there's a really good game here you can be involved with and there's a lot of fun to be had?
1: Yeah, look, I, it, it is very hard and it, it is a, a big worry because we ride track work a lot here and, and you see that stables are struggling, struggling, especially with ground staff at the moment. I, I think, um, you know, I think we've just got to sell the sport in the right light you, You've got to love the animal and, you and, you know, they do get paid quite well now to, to work with them. Um, but people more concentrating on, on the hours that you've got to work and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I think if we sell the product right and we can get them into the industry and, and give them a taste of it and give them experience, and we're going to, you know, get more people into it. But it's just finding the right structure to, to, to go out and find those people because people aren't going to just walk into a stable at 4 o'clock in the morning and say, you know, I want to work with horses. You know, we've got to go out and find them. We've got to sell our product. Well, and bring them into an industry that shows them that it can provide a good living for their family, and that they can work with you know horses that are, it's quite it's quite a special thing to, to have a bond with a horse, and you see that after people strapping horses and they win races or they win groups that they, they cry they get emotional it's it's a part of their life and I think if we can sell the product right then we'll get more people into the game.
0: Very well said, mate. Pleasure to talk to you. I know you've been busy this morning at the trials. Uh, you've got a, a game of golf. I tell you what, mate, you might need to ring your mate uh, Wayne Pasterfield because he's representing JMac mac on Wednesday at the Appeals. Um, he does a good job Wayne but you might want to tell him not to do a good job this time for James so he, he can't get those extra days off <laughs> yeah he works for me as well
1: I might, might tell him the case, he's got that a bit more important
0: <laughs> mate pleasure to chat to you um, as I said you've done a number of these chats with a number of people across the industry for all different networks programs but it's nice to talk to you mate and hopefully someone out there learned something a little bit different about you today mate go and enjoy your day I
1: appreciate that thanks Dan I take care mate
0: Cheers, mate. Tommy Berry there, joining us on Monday's experts uh, at eleven thirty-seven, and that uh, particular interview that'll be up for a podcast. It's great to chat with Tommy. Um, very um, prevalent at the moment, obviously with with what's happening in regards to this premiership, and we are blessed at the moment. We we get to see uh, these top two rise. In fact, not only them, but the, the quality of that that room in Sydney uh, to be wheeled out every Wednesday and Saturday. It's extraordinary. Eleven thirty-eight. Sky Sports Radio. The Whip Arounds coming up next.